Hey, so this is uh, the Code of the West. Um, so this has been kind of a weird week and a half for me. Um, I did not plan on starting a brand, whether it be clothing or art, or I don't really even know what it is yet, to be totally honest. Um, I just kind of wanted to sort of, I guess, tell you guys about me, you know, since we're doing this, uh, it felt kind of like it's, uh, everything happened really fast for me. And I mean, I'm not saying that like, you know, this thing blew up completely overnight and changed my life. It's just that, uh, I wasn't expecting to be doing this, uh, really <laughs> like a couple weeks ago. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't thought about something like this for a long time. Um, it's been in the back of my mind for years, honestly, but I could never quite figure out the right way to package it and put it out to the world. And, um, yeah, so, uh, for some context about me, um, of course I work for black rifle coffee right now. Um, I'm a art director there. Um, and I've been doing that for, uh, about a year and working with black rifle for almost two, but, um, have no plans on leaving that day job anytime soon. Um, but, um, I got to black rifle in kind of a weird convoluted way, uh, through, well, uh, first of all, my background is comic books and that's something that I'd wanted to do since I was a kid. I, uh, I read a comic when I was 10, uh, when I was, uh, you know, pretty, I was into drawing, but I'd never read a comic book before. And, um, it was enthralling to me. And the one that I read was called THB by a guy named Paul Pope, who at the time was a friend of my aunt and uncles who lived in Columbus, Ohio. And so the way I was introduced to comics was uh, in the kind of, it was presented to me as something that anybody could do. This was an independent comic book that Paul had made. And it was a really um, very detailed and um, well-realized world. Uh, it's a sci-fi story that uh, takes place on Mars in the future. And I just thought it was the greatest job on earth to be able to sit down and pretend and make up a world that you could then show to somebody. Cause I love film as well. And I've always loved prose, but you know, there was something really visceral about a comic book because you also have to participate in a comic. You've got to be able to kind of put the, the show together in your head, so to speak. And, uh, so, uh, it's, uh, it, it just kind of, I got the bug. And so for years after that, that's all I thought about was making comics someday. And all my energy since I was, well, from the age of 10, I mean, onward was bent towards, learning as much as I could about that medium. Um, you know, meanwhile, uh, throughout all that, I moved to Idaho with my mom in 94 when I was nine. And, uh, prior to that, I was a, I was a pretty sickly little kid, had real bad asthma allergies. Um, I was on steroids. I was, uh, you know, had a couple really close calls, um, almost, almost bit the dust a couple of times. Um, which I mean, I can get into at some other point in time. Um, but, um, on, in addition to that, in the summer times, I would go on the truck with my dad, my dad was a truck driver. And, um, so from an early age, I was crisscrossing the country, leaving Ohio, but we had an office in Boston at the moving company that my grandpa owned. So really it was from Boston down to San Jose, California. That was most of where my childhood was spent kind of between those two points. And, um, you know, I hit every continental state by the time I was, uh, seven. So 
I saw everything as a kid and I took it for granted until I was older. I didn't realize that most kids didn't see everything that I saw. And of course I saw some scary stuff and I was almost kidnapped one time in New Jersey because, <laughs> uh, you know, I was an idiot. And uh, somebody asked me, literally asked me if I wanted to uh, see their puppies that were in the back of a paneled van. Once again, different story for a different day. But point I'm trying to make here is that I saw a lot of the country and I saw uh, I saw it from the passenger seat in my dad's Kenworth. And I saw even at a, an early age, I was able to really see how similar everything was well kind of having these unique tinges obviously like uh things were um things were same same but different <laughs> you know from the from the passenger window and um i i just became obsessed with the west um i i loved nothing more than when we got you know out of the plains going west and uh you know started seeing the rockies or we were going through the mojave coming up you know california through the southern part um, I was obsessed with it. I, I remember seeing mountains for the first time when I was a kid and, uh, we were in Colorado and I was just, I, I remember being speechless, just looking out the, the windshield of the Kenworth and seeing these, you know, sharp peaks rising in front of me. And uh, I just, for whatever reason, just couldn't quite get that out of my head. And, you know, of course, with being sick and having asthma and stuff, over the years, I gravitated towards, um, well, I loved history and I loved reading. And I, you know, came across Theodore Roosevelt at a certain point and realized that he had asthma too. And he basically, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should cuss on this or not. Um, I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to drop some F-bombs later, but for now, it'll be nice. But it was apparent to me that as a little kid, Theodore Roosevelt was just not going to let the world tell him who he was going to be and what he was capable of. And you know, I didn't quite understand everything about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand how he ended up in the Dakotas after his wife and kid died, which is a terrible story in, in and of itself. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it just seemed like the West was where you went to get tested and I wanted to be tested. And so when my mom got a job offer in Boise, Idaho, and I was in Arizona with my dad on the truck and it was like 114 degrees that day. Um, talking on one of those big brick cell phones from back then. And uh, my mom was like, Hey, I got the job. Uh, do you want to go to Idaho? And I later found out that she was kind of hoping that I was going to say no. Cause she was like, seriously not going to go. If I said, Nope, don't want to go. And she had full custody over me. So it wasn't like she was going to drag me away or anything without, uh, without being responsible. But um, I was like, do they have mountains in, in Idaho? And she, she's like, yep, you can see them from the office. And I was like, cool, let's go to Idaho. And and not long after that, we packed up a 94 Ultima, Ultima uh, that my mom could barely afford. And we just cannonballed it across the country. I think she did it in like two days, uh, left Ohio and got to Idaho. And then we were kind of off to the races after that. Sorry, I'm going to get a drink of water here. Apologize. I don't think I'm going to edit that kind of stuff out, by the way. <laughs> I think I'm just going to let it ride for now. Um Partly because I don't really know how to use GarageBand and also just because it's like, I'm not trying to be fancy here. I'm just kind of trying to put some thoughts down. So anyways, um, I'm not a cowboy. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. <laughs> um, I was raised by a cowboy subsequently. Um, my stepdad showed up when I was about 12 and Dan grew up in Northern California, which you might think sounds uncowboy like But if you've ever been to Northern California, 
you would know that that is very not true. And Northern California is basically a different country from Southern California. And uh, he grew up working on a ranch. It wasn't his family's. Um, I don't want to speak too much for him, but you know, his uh, he, he had a pretty rough upbringing. Uh, not a lot of resources were available. And um, he, I mean, he was working since he was a kid. Like I was working in the sense that, you know, I'd be folding pads or, you know, packing up stuff uh, like in bedrooms or bathrooms if we were doing a household job when I was little. And I mean, little, like six, seven years old, but Dan would go out at nine years old on horseback by himself and uh, go out and try to find stray calves and that kind of thing. And I mean, he'd be out for days at a time. And uh, he, uh, he, he came in like a bat out of hell to my life. And uh, I, I, at some point I have to just, have him on, I think. Um, but, uh, cause he's got a way of speaking about things. It's pretty, pretty un PC, but pretty entertaining. Um, and, um, you know, even though I, I wanted to be capable and I wanted to be tough and I would say, I'd argue that I was, I'd seen a lot, you know, by, you know, 12, um, and my mom's a badass, but she just didn't know all the things that I wanted to know. I wanted to know how to work on vehicles. I wanted to ride motorcycles. I wanted to shoot guns. And it wasn't like she was saying that you couldn't do those things. It's just that we didn't have any money and she didn't know about those things. And so when Dan showed up, it kind of became his mission to, to initiate me into all things. <laughs> uh, well, just let's just say all those things. Uh, like we'd be driving to school in the morning and I'd be riding and he'd be have his hands on the, on the, on the steering wheel and he'd be dead silence forever. And then he'd look over at me and he'd be like, if you're ever in a headlock, take the heel of your boots and stomp on the arch of their foot. It'll break it and they'll let go. And then he would just like dead eyed turn back to look at the road and, and not say anything else again. And like every morning was some sort of like anecdotal piece of Dan wisdom, which usually involved like, you know, fighting somebody. Um, <laughs> but, um, he got me my first gun, which was a Winchester 3030 and 1894 lever action uh, and taught me how to shoot it, taught me everything about guns that I needed to know. Got me on a dirt bike, got me on four wheelers, got me working on engines, helped me get my first truck, which was, uh, I had saved up quite a bit of money by high school from various jobs, but I still pretty much planned on having a, like a Honda hatchback. And he took what I had and split it with me and we ended up getting a, a 71 Chevy stepside pickup that was pearl white. And, uh, I mean, it was a hot rod. It was hot shit. And I was a guy that built Gundam models in the basement and collected star Wars toys. So <laughs> I love this thing. And I, I drove the shit out of it and I was on drag race team in high school, but, um, I had no idea that I was the dude driving to school in a hot rod basically is what I'm getting at. And if I wasn't driving that thing, I was riding his old motorcycle, which was a uh, Honda, uh, Yamaha V-Star, which is like a V-twin. Um, it, it, they actually got sued by Harley Davidson's uh, consortium because uh, the muffler, the exhaust actually goes potato, 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 which is, I guess, a mechanical patent that you can't replicate, which is something weird that I know. But um, anyway, so I was either riding to school <laughs> on a motorcycle that looked like a Harley and sounded like one too, or I was, you know, driving this white slammed hot rod pickup truck and going to video class and drawing comics and art and had no idea that <laughs> like this was not normal. Um, but um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is that, you know, for one Boise, this is Boise where I grew up 
was a city at the time. It's still obviously a city now, but that city was very different than anything you'd be walking into today. Um, it was pretty routine to go to like some of these breakfast spots in 94, 95. And you'd see a cowboy like at the counter with a six shooter on. And I'm not even joking. Um, on Friday nights, we had a cruise that we would go and do like American graffiti style. And we would drive our hot rods around and race each other. And it, I mean, it was like, it was like Boise had been frozen in a, uh, like a time warp. And we would go um, up to Banks, which is just outside of Boise. It's like a whitewater kayak spot now. Well, it always was then. But I mean, there was a rope swing up there we used to go on. The thing was tied like 30 feet into the air. And um, I think it fucking killed. Oh, there it is. I dropped an F-bomb. Okay, so we're just cussing. Sorry. Um, it, yeah, it killed a kid, basically. Like, uh, it, you had to swim across a river and shimmy up like wet cliffs, take this rope, run off the cliff, and swing out at the apex over this river, which was basically just below rapids on the river. And um, some kid, I guess, freaked out and didn't let go of the rope and just slammed back into the cliff. Um, I almost drowned the second time I went on it. Like I got sucked into an eddy and uh, was like full on making peace with God because, I mean, I'd like was, you know, doing the chicken head thing where I'm like bobbing up over the water. And I'm like, hey, help, hey, help. And then like, just, I was like, this is it. I, I got nothing. I got no, nothing left in the, in the, in the tank. And, uh, two guys had seen me and swam out and grabbed me and dragged me back in. And cause I was like done. Oh, they were going to be finding me up river. So it, it wasn't, so I say that I grew up in a city, but, um, it, it wasn't really like what most people would consider a city. Um, you know, it, it, it you, you still had to know what you were doing. And, and like, we were kind of allowed to do whatever. I mean, I would, I'd wander for miles and for an entire day uh, through neighborhoods in the summer, like from our neighborhood on the bench down to downtown, down to a neighborhood called Hyde Park. I mean, I'm talking like I'm covering like eight miles, you know, in a day. as like a, as like a 12 year old. Um, and, you know, you'd go up into the foothills and we go shoot out at Black's Creek. And it, it just it was it's probably what someone would consider rural now. Um, but you know, at the time it was like, you know, when we'd go like drag race other high schools, we'd be trying to race against Middleton or something. And we had these high school nationals that we'd go to and Middleton for some reason always had like this killer, killer team. And at the high school nationals, you do things like uh, uh tug of war. And every year I was there, uh, their, their anchor was this guy named Bubba. And I swear to God, his name was Bubba and he had a cowboy hat that said, uh, kiss my SS on it. And that was a dude that would like drag your ass and your entire team across the line in tug of war. And, uh, I mean, they were just all a bunch of, you know, hail, hay bailing farm boys basically, but they were cool as hell. And we, we got all got along, but, um, it, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is trying to sort of explain that, um, what code of the West is what it is in my head and why I'm doing it is not because I'm a cowboy and it's all about cowboys and that we're just trying to make this like, you know, uh, fake narrative up or something. Like I think that the, not the gunslinger, but like the cowboy, the cow puncher and the pioneers, I think those people, I think there's something, even if it is a myth that embodies 
the best of us in a lot of ways. And certainly it could be the worst, but like, I'm going to approach it from the positive here. So bear with me. Um, it's, it's the people who do things because they've said they're going to do them. You know, they said they're going to do uh, X, Y, and Z job, no matter how hard, no matter how long it's going to take, they're going to do it. They're going to move cattle from one point to another. They're going to take a fence down. They're going to put a fence up. And, um, uh, I, what I'm trying to get at with this is that there, there's a lot in there that, that other types of people embody the same thing, the code of the West, what I'm saying about that. And I want it to, to be something that people can kind of hang different experiences on. It doesn't have to be, you know, you out alone with, you know, a string of horses or moving cattle to, to, to feel this way or to be a part of the story. It's not even my story is what I'm getting at. I was, I was raised by someone like Dan who, who lives by this code. I mean, he has a code. I have a code too. It's informed by Dan. And I think that that's okay. And I still want to embody that, even though I, I'm not going to claim to be something that I'm not, I guess is what I'm saying. And I want you to all feel, or at least understand what I'm trying to do with this thing. So you can make an informed decision as to whether or not you want to participate in it or not, because it's not just me making a t-shirt or an art print. I mean, I, I, I like doing those things. It's uh, a lot of what I do at black rifle and it's what I've done it with comics is tell a story in code of the West is a story. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think a brand, and I don't mean a brand like a cattle brand, but like a company, like a brand, when it's done right and done well, it's a story that you live inside of. And I don't think that's disingenuous. I, I think that's just the truth of it. Um, you end up, you know, hopefully things are made well, um, but they also represent something. And you wearing, you wearing a logo or, or just something that doesn't have a logo, but you know where it came from. Like Filson comes to mind. I used to work for them and is a very big part of my childhood. Filson never, ever had anything on their stuff that said Filson aside from a garment tag that was hidden behind the collar. And um, yet you could still look and see a Filson from across the street. And there was something <laughs> having, having Filson stuff, whether it's a bag, a coat, um, there was always this kind of like, sort of silent nod when you saw somebody else with it. it Cause you kind of, you could kind of infer things about the other person. You could infer that they, they, they understood value. They understood a well-made thing at a certain point in time, you would have also probably assumed that they worked for a living, like with their hands, they had a trade of some kind. Um, not so much now necessarily, but it doesn't, it's, it doesn't exclude that, you know, as a possibility. So with code of the West, um, I'm, I want to remind myself and, and I guess others of the things that I think are important and I want to have conversations about them. And, and maybe that's kind of why I felt like I needed to put this particular podcast or recording out there so that you guys would understand that what I'm intending to do. Cause like I said, I don't, I don't want you to just assume it's something that it's not and disappoint you down the road. Um, I want you to know what I intend for this thing to represent and, and what I want you to be a part of, if you want to be a part of it. Um, I, I, I really, it might be silly, but I believe in having a code and 
have for a long time, even before I met Dan. But Dan was the first person I met that showed me that you could do that in real life. That it wasn't just a it wasn't just a myth or it wasn't a piece of fiction. Um, and uh, that was very important to me. It was important to the to the man I've become. And I and I would like to also qualify. I've not always been a good man. Like I've it's a it's been a work in progress in a lot of ways and it continues to be so, but I'm pretty proud of who I am now, but I haven't always been that way, but I've always thought about myself in comparison to someone like Dan or even to Dan. Um, and of course there's other people like, you know, my mom, my, my biological dad, my grandparents, like, you know, we're the sum of all these people and these experiences in our lives and they all have something to offer. But, um, Dan was the first one that codified it and, there's just certain things you don't do. And, and, you know, he, he made some bad business decisions based on handshakes, but he'd, he'd tell you that he'd still want to do it that way. And, uh, you know, he'd also tell you to always get it in writing, but, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, you can still shake hands with a person. You just got to make sure you're doing your due diligence and you're, you're shaking your hand with the right person. And, um, you know, I, and these are the kinds of things, I guess I just want to, I just want to be able to have a conversation with people about this. Um, cause I think some of the people think that might think this is outmoded or they might just think that no one gives a shit about this stuff anymore. And, um, and I, and I, I just, I guess I just want to testify that I do and then maybe see if anybody else does, if that makes sense. So, you know, the shirts might have the the bull on it and, you know, say, and never corner something meaner than you, but it's, it's not about being a badass or, you know, being, you know, you know, clever with a branding thing. It's more about, um, it's more about codifying this information and sharing it with people and getting that silent nod that I'm just talking about with Filson. And so even if you don't know, if someone sees your shirt and doesn't see it as a code of the West shirt, they might read it and be like, yep. And then keep on walking or they might nod, they might wave, they might smile. And I think that we've, we've lost a lot of this as a, as a, as a community and as a country um, where we don't, we don't talk to strangers as much. We don't know our neighbors. Um, so if we don't know our neighbors, we definitely don't know how to help our neighbors. And that, the way I grew up, that was a big thing. You, you needed to be ready to go dig a ditch, um, help pour a foundation, um, uh, my parents are up in Northern Idaho now. And that's something that like, that's a real thing. Like people call you because they have troubles and there, there's no, there's no choice. You know, they can either try to do it themselves and they will try to do it themselves and they'll find out that they can't do it. And then they'll call you for help. Sorry, I'm gonna drink another water here. Excuse me. <laughs> so anyways, um, if I, if I keep doing code of the West and if I keep recording stuff like this, maybe I'll just be talking about, I'll probably just be talking about what's on my mind. To be honest, I'm not trying to make some sort of polished flim flam shit. It's just, I've had stuff floating around in my mind all these years and I just, I need to get it out. And I, I've sort of gotten it out at times with stuff like Carver, like my comic book that I wrote a few years ago. And I'll try to pepper it in with things that I write that I don't show anybody, but you know, just to kind of, working out of my system, but, um, I don't know. I think it's, I just think that with the reaction that I had, uh, the visceral reaction from a handful of you, it, uh, 
it just, my gut instinct tells me that I'm not the only one. And I don't know what there is to benefit from being the person to talk about it. But um, I just feel like, I feel like we should. And yeah, even if it's for nothing more than just so that we can all kind of have a, that sort of silent nod on the street with each other and know that we're not the only ones. Sorry, I'm grabbing my chew. Uh, horrible habit. Don't start, but it's better than cigarettes. Um, probably going to sound weird with that in my mouth now, but um, yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is not, like I said, this is, this is definitely like more of a stream of conscious kind of thing. I'm, I mean, I've got a mic set up in my kitchen right now um, <laughs> with my laptop open. This is not a, this is not a polished machine by any means. Um, and I don't know where this thing's going to go either. Like the, I announced yesterday that the drop's going to happen on February 3rd. And um, I mean, I'm hoping that I don't lose my ass on it, but <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Um, but I think it's worth the risk. And, and that's something I've, I've talked about before on like other podcasts, like when Carver was coming out and I recently just did one with uh, Josh Smith, that's going to come out soon. And one with the Vanguard project and kind of the common denominator with all of them is because um, people were asking how I got to do what I'm doing. And um, it's just not letting fear drive. Um, that was, that was it. Like the fear of failure, the perceived, like what is failure? Um, I think a lot of people just don't like the idea of being uncomfortable. And that's, that's not the same thing as failing. Um, I've had a pretty interesting life thus far. Um, and it's all been predicated on just kind of saying yes to a lot of stuff. Not, not, not crazy, not like yes to everything. It's all calculated risks, but um, kind of like a, what do you have to lose sort of thing? Like I, from a very early age, like I said, I was criss crisscrossing the country with my dad in the truck. Not, it was, nothing was normal for me. Nothing was normal. I never had a sleepover until I was like 10. I didn't really have a friend my age until I was 10. I was around adults all the time. It, it was amazing. It was an adventure. And I loved it. I, I, I lived for the summer and to be on the road and just see what would happen and see all the new places. And I, we didn't really stop anywhere. I mean, like, we were, it was hammer lane all the way. And, and so, you know, you might get one day for your birthday one time uh, when you turn five where you're outside of Mount St. Helens and you get a pair of Bushnell binoculars for your birthday and you get to see, you know, something like that as a child for the first time. But then you go back to Ohio and how do you describe that to somebody in kindergarten? Um, and it's, it was just a lot to take in. And so I wanted to keep having that as I, you know, as I moved through high school and was looking at college and, or the lack thereof. And then the comic book thing and how that was going to play out. Cause I had no idea. I, I, I just, one of the things about my code is I don't like lying and I can't even lie to myself. And I recognized when I was about 20, 21, that, uh, there was no way that I was not going to regret trying to make it in comics. I just knew it. And, um, Part of that was reading a couple of books. One, one of them was uh, Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which is kind of like the, it's like the OG self-help book. A lot of other books have been written that are kind of like a carbon copy of a carbon copy of that one. Look into it if you want to. Just bear in mind that it's kind of fictional, but in a good way. It's a framework. It's an allegory, basically, is what you could say. 
and then Atlas Shrugged, which I know some eyes are probably going to roll on that one. But um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Ayn Rand, and not the human necessarily, but the the um, the literary works. Just like everybody, Rand was a human and um, a little hypocritical at times, and objectivism got a little culty. But um, what it stands for, what the book Atlas Shrugged stands for and distills down, it also really affected me because part of my problem is is I'm a, I'm a creative person that grew up in a couple different blue collar businesses, you know, moving and construction, um, which is what my, my mom and my stepdad did. And, um, you know, I grew up doing those things, you know, I've, <laughs> I've, I know what it's like to work a 16 hour day, you know, digging ditches, loading a 53 foot trailer, uh, God, just, I know the misery that comes with those kinds of jobs and my family, they wanted me to know how to do those things, but they also wanted me to know those things to be able to pursue a different path. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of you out there have heard that from your parents where, you know, it's the, like, you know, I want you to do this now so that you understand like why you should want to work in an office. Um, although the irony is that it all it did was to tell me I didn't want to work in an office, but, and now I work in an office, uh, <laughs> but it's an office. It's an awesome office at Black Rifle. Um, but excuse me. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is uh, it's a uh, it, it's a pretty fun, scary, lonely communal road. It just it's everything when you when you when you're able to kind of acknowledge those things that make you happy. And it took me a long time to be able to know what made me happy. I had a friend, Jenny Rice, that actually asked me, and I think 2013 when I was helping her move to Portland, she asked me what made me happy. And um, of course there were some things that had happened a few years prior to that, um, which took a little while to process and lost a couple people in pretty dramatic and quick circumstances. And at this time I was still kind of figuring all that out. But when she asked me what made me happy, I didn't have an answer. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not being hyperbolic or exaggerating. I really, I really didn't know. I'd never thought about it. And so I've been making that list ever since, um, you know, eight years out. Um, I can say that I really like taking photos. I learned how to take photos of the, an actual camera, like a DSLR. And I do love drawing and I do love telling stories. And um, I love meeting people. And I, I love newness. I love new experiences and new places. And, um, other things too, but <laughs> having, having a handful of those things that I know about are the things that kind of helped me kind of get up in the morning and, and get where I'm going. It got me to black rifle, which was probably the single most important thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Cause, uh, it, it was the first time that I felt like I found the other aliens on, <laughs> I mean, they're not the same aliens. We're all from different places, but we all kind of, you know, we all arrived at the same ship, I guess is the best way to put it. And um, I wouldn't say it validated me, but it, it made the weird life that I've had make sense because I don't think that I could have ended up there any other way. I think, I think a lot of us are like that, um, that work there. Uh, we were not, we didn't take the normal path. And so, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but in this case, um, it's, it's not like the shitty version <laughs> where you realize what you could have done better. I'm able to look back and go like, man, thank God. I just kept crawling, you know, 
at certain times when I just thought I couldn't keep going. Um, and just waking up in the morning was an effort and it was, you know, and, and I had to acknowledge it then. And I acknowledge it now there, there have been times in my life where, um, I learned about the world and I learned about things that happen to everybody. If you live long enough and they were overwhelming and I had to figure out how to, how to get past that. And, you know, for a long time, um, you know, I was, I was drinking probably like a bottle of bourbon a day. Um, and I didn't even think anything of it. And I did it for a while. <laughs> and I just thought it was a part of being a writer and an artist and, um, you know, being that Western bravado kind of dude. And um, I still drink whiskey every once in a while, but I realized I was drinking whiskey for the wrong reasons. I wasn't drinking whiskey because I was happy. <laughs> I was just drinking whiskey because it was there. Um, but, um, point to all this though, is I kind of want to tell you guys about me because it code of the West is basically me. Um, and that was Carver as well. The, the comic book that I wrote and drew in 2016. And I say it's me and I have already told you I'm not a cowboy. And so what I mean by that is it's, it's, it's all the things that are inside my head that I'm trying to remind myself of. It's that list that makes me happy. Uh, it's, it's reminding myself that even if I'm the only person, pardon me, if I'm the only person in the room that I still got to do whatever I'm doing the right way. And I have to put everything I've got towards it. It doesn't matter if someone's looking, doesn't matter if there's someone to hold me accountable. I got to hold myself accountable. And, um, like I said, I, I think other people might feel that way. And, and, and I think it's an opportunity to also maybe teach people that it's okay to be that way. Um, and it's okay to have standards and it's okay to strive for something great. Um, cause it's a shame, I think, to meet people who I, I get over the years, I've had a lot of people tell me that they wish they, you know, they would have followed their dream or they wish they knew what their dream was, which is, I think is even sadder, honestly, to, it's a different version of not knowing what makes you happy. I might not have been able to answer that question, but I at least knew what I loved. I knew what was going to drive me. And, um, and I, I'm not saying that everybody should or can pursue their dream as in like, they'll get it. I, I think probably actually the reality is most people won't, but to not even try, um, you know, it's life and all these decisions are, they create ripples and, and you meet new people and you have new experiences. And even if you don't land where you think you're going to land, you, you've gone out and you've, you've initiated something else in your life. Sorry, I'm going to drink a water here. I have to figure this process out down the road. <laughs> Throat's already getting dry. But you know what I'm saying? Like, um, inaction is just that you're just sitting still. And if you don't ever try something, you know, you're just going to, it's just going to be wash, rinse, repeat every day, get up, go to the job, do the job, maybe stop and have a beer, laugh for a little bit, go home, watch the Andy Griffith show or big bang or whatever it is. And then just go to sleep. Um, and if that's what you want, if you know that's what you want, then man, I commend you. And you just, you do that. But if you want something more and you know it, then then you can't lie to yourself about it. And that's, that's 
that's what I'm saying to myself every day. And I'm saying it to you right now, but I'm mainly just saying it to myself to remind myself. And because I've gotten this far, I've gotten 36 years into it, 37, I guess it's July, but it's a constant thing. You know, I've got to remind myself because it's, you get used to it, but I mean, it's, you're, you're not giving yourself many breaks, I guess is what I'm saying when you, when you live that way. Um, Cause you're always holding yourself accountable, which means there really isn't a time where you just relax. Um, and it, I guess in my case, I just, I've always seen mostly my flaws and everything. Um, I'm getting better about that, but it's still a thing. Um, and um, I don't, I don't blame people for not, for not doing it. I just, I guess what I'm saying is maybe try it first and then not do it <laughs> and decide if it's for you, you know, just not doing it because you're afraid or you're concerned that it might not work out or you try it and it didn't work out immediately. That's another one. You got to give yourself a break. I mean, if code of the West is a thing that I can keep going, i.e. it works. It's not because this thing suddenly came together and worked. The, the, the truth of it is, is that like, this is the culmination of a lot of weird decisions in my life of pursuing comics, learning how to make a comic, learning from someone like Paul, who, yeah, Paul ended up being my mentor, the guy whose comics that I read when I was a kid. That's a long story. Great story. But I learned to draw a certain way. And I learned from Paul, who learned from somebody, who learned from somebody. And then I studied other masters of the early 20th century. So I ended up with a style that's not quite commercial for modern American comics. And I kind of was adrift because of that. And then I always loved Filson. And I had a chance to help open up a store for Filson when I was in New York, even though I was there for comics. And that led to meeting people and, and liking that job. But I had to had quit it eventually to do Carver. And then I ended up kind of on a road, like a hobo book tour for a little bit in 2016, going from city to city, ended up in Spain for a few weeks with Paul and my mom came and visited and went to comic book festival and Basque country and paid for a lot of meals with drawings and Spanish cafes, which was a lot of fun. But, um, I, I was, I had achieved my dream, so to speak. I was working professionally in comics and, um, I was making a decent living, not a great one, but like enough to survive. And I just wasn't happy. And it's a really, it's a hard thing to accept when you bent your entire existence towards something and you've made hard decisions. And I wouldn't say left people behind, but you know, you, I, I, I chose not to pursue things like a family, you know, in order to be leaner and not have to drag somebody through my own bullshit to do comics. And then I got there in 2017 and I'm like, I'm, I don't know if this is worth it. I, I can't get the jobs that I want. And I, I, you know, I'd been talking to an agent in um, Hollywood, uh, a pretty decent uh, agency about representing me for Carver, but he's like, I can't really do anything with this until you do book two. And I'm yet to still do book two. I mean, I have several scripts sitting around waiting, but like, it just, I don't have, I never had the, the money to just sit down and draw my comic again. Uh, for four or five months. And so there's a lot of near misses and I just, it, w it was like pushing a rope and they were, they, I just, I happened to find out that they were going to open up a Filson store in Columbus. I'd gone back there after my hobo tour just to spend some time with my grandparents and my dad. And, um, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I know Filson makes me happy. And so I'm just going to go 
I'm going to not be comic book guy anymore. And I'm going to go be retail guy. Cause I was also, this is a weird one. I was a Starbucks store manager in my early twenties as well, before I went whole hog hard into the paint on comics. So I have this retail management background and I walked in and I was the assistant manager basically straight out of the gate. And I was like, not comic book guy anymore. And I kind of was waiting for someone to come revoke my comic book membership card. We, we don't actually have those, but I mean, but in all honesty, I kind of felt like that's, I'd given up on something. And then just through a fluke of events, I ended up out in Seattle at headquarters for a management um, conference when um, I had to go in the stead of our, our store manager. And short version of that story is somebody saw me drawing while I was out there and it was the lead designer for Filson and um, Ode. And she, she and I talked at length and then she, she recommended that I, I get a hold of uh, Alex Carlton, who is the chief creative officer there at Filson. And the short version of that story is I just, I ended up uh, doing a lot of work for Filson, uh, not in the store, but for, I was, I became a consultant eventually actually. Um, and um, did shirt designs. Well, I did a bunch of art for shirts. I, they, I don't think they ever used them yet or they might not, but who knows. Um, but uh, ended up doing a comic strip for their Instagram, which I still think was pretty fun. It was a weekly comic strip, like an old school newspaper strip. And we put it up on the Instagram once a week. And we uh, did like the carousel. So you'd kind of flip through the little tin panel comic. And, uh, you know, over the, I think it was like 16 weeks, we told this story about this kid from uh, down south showing up in Alaska and, and getting, getting up in a, he got in a bush plane accident and crash, blah, 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 and had to walk out. I mean, it's pretty Jack London, pretty basic, but it was, uh, it was the first time I did a comic that I really, really loved outside of Carver. And it was for a clothing company. And, um, I'd done random stuff over the years for like AMC and Nike, um, you know, either with Paul or, you know, someone recommended me, but it got me thinking, I was like, I think that, you know, maybe I could go back to doing drawing for a living and maybe there's a way to use what I know in other ways and other mediums. And, and so this, this word branding is batted around a lot. Um, and I'm skipping over a lot of other shit in my past too that <laughs> factors into this. But um, like when I ended up at Black Rifle, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I just, I basically had a handshake with the CEO and founder, Evan Hafer, and just drove down from Northern Idaho where I'd been riding the apocalypse out and was like, hey, we can sort this out when I get there. Like, and because I've been drawn for him as a contractor. And um, I got down there and ended up being an art director and ended up, being a part of and well learning and being a part of, you know, uh, designing apparel, coffee bags, um, just products in general, uh, seeing that whole process from start to finish learning, learning terms like tech pack and, um, you know, uh, things that I just guess took for granted, you know, I didn't get to see or participate in with Filson that were not unlike things that I'd done in comics, you know, uh, in terms of producing things for print publication. So, um, I basically ended up in this perfect storm, you know, two weeks ago where I know how to tell a story. I, I've been thinking about what makes me happy. I, I want to talk about the way I grew up and the things that I saw and I learned, um, that I think are transferable between this myth that we all kind of are aware of and 
a lot of our daily lives. Um, and it just sort of coalesced for lack of a better word into code of the West. And so like, I, I guess I'm just telling you all that just so that, you know, it, it is an accident, but it's also an accident of patience. If that makes sense. Um, it's not, it's not like a complete kismet, like, Oh man, like he's just an idiot and bumbled into it. I am. You could call me an idiot probably <laughs> for a lot of things, but, um, you know, it, like I was sitting at Josh Smith's, um, dinner table last weekend, actually, well, probably yeah, last Friday night. And, um, his cousin was visiting from Alberta, who's a bronc rider and a horse trainer and also a musician and a cowboy poet. And, when they found out what I did for a living, they were joking about how, as they were driving down to Josh's place, they were thinking how cool it would be to um, get a portrait drawn of, of Matt for his album, his new album coming out, but they didn't know anybody who could do that. And I was like, oh, well, we can just sit and do it after dinner. And, and they kind of looked at me funny. And that's exactly what we did. It took me about 25 minutes. And I mean, and we kind of sat with it for a little while after that and refined it. And Matt ended up playing a show for us. But one of the things that we were joking about is that, yeah, it took me 25 minutes to do it, but it took me 25 years to do it that fast. And so I just want to remind everybody that like, you gotta, you gotta play the long game with this stuff. Like, you know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to master something, if you want to, you know, chop wood and you want to get real good at it, you gotta, you gotta split a lot of wood. Um, and that's a hard thing to accept. And, and that being said, you, you can be pretty good at it along, along the way. Uh, Paul had told me at the beginning that I'd hate my first thousand ink drawings. So my way of dealing with it was just accepting internally, like I'm going to suck for a thousand. And then I just started chipping away and I kept track of them on Flickr, which used to be Yahoo's photo sharing website. And so I'd be like one of 1000, two of 1000. And pretty quickly, you know, even Paul was like, you know, this isn't that bad. <laughs> and that was really encouraging. And then it still took me 14 years to get to this point where I could sit at the dinner table and do that drawing in 25 minutes. But I love what I do. And even though it's taken these weird winding paths to get where I'm at right now, um, it, it kind of all made sense, you know? And so if you're going to try to do something like a podcast or a brand or shirts or whatever, like fucking go for it. Absolutely. Go for it. If you've never done anything in those realms, just, just know that you're going to have to learn on the fly. Um, <laughs> and, and for me, I think that if I'm just being honest with myself and you know, the whole not lying thing, um, I've known how to do this for a while, but it scared me and it still freaks me the fuck out. Like I just, you know, it's a hundred shirts and 25 hats and 25 prints. That's what's going to be in that first drop February 3rd. The amount of money that that cost me to, to do, I can lose it if I can survive losing it, but it's still a lot of money. It's still more money than I've ever really bet on myself. You know, if I'm, if I'm being totally real and it scares the shit out of me, <laughs> like, I think it's probably, it's probably safe to say that like, I will sell some of it, you know, but, but even then I, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's the reason why I didn't do it for a long time. And, and also I just hadn't really put it together the way that I wanted to, but 
you know, even what Code of the West is, I, I've, I've thought about things like this before, you know, uh, whether it was, you know, start my own branding company, you know, which basically would just be like me, not, it'd just be me as, as a freelancer uh, doing consulting like I did for Filson and Black Rifle initially. But um, it's, I've never bet on myself in this way. And that's part of the reason why it scares me. Um, just going out and trying something, you know, trying to put a story out like Carver. Okay, well, I'm getting paid to do it, or I got a page rate to do it. Um, so if it tanked, I just wasn't going to get royalties. But um, I could I could live with bad reviews. Um, it's it's the money that that freaks me out. Um, it's 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 a it just changes the dynamic really quickly. Um, and I've I've walked away from good jobs before in order to do things that I really love. That's that's kind of different, or at least it feels different to me. Uh, to really like go up to the table and throw down a wad of cash and be like, Hey, I'm going to do some insane shit right now. I think, I think that people are just going to like the things that I draw and I think they're going to like them on shirts or hats or when I post them on Instagram and they, they might want to engage with it. That, that sounds like fucking lunacy to me. I mean, even though that's what I'm doing, I just, <laughs> it really, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Um, so thank you for everybody who's encouraged me to, to get to this point, like the Brandon Lilly's and the Josh Smith's, you know, and the people who have helped, you know, step into to the space with me, like, you know, tier and, and, and Austin Fieldcraft. Um, it, there's, and there's a lot more of you, you know, like Alex Cooey, my friend, old roommate, like, I know I don't, I don't respond well enough <laughs> to everybody's texts and, DMs, but like everybody who never really forgot about me and has always been encouraging. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, and I, and I really mean that it, it, I don't take it for granted that, that you all care. And, uh, and I hope that, that your faith in me is not misplaced. And so I'm probably going to wrap it up around here. I, I did. I talked way longer than I expected to, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll do this again. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I might maybe do it once a week or something. Um, and then I don't know, maybe end up doing it with some other people or something down the road too. But for right now, I think I just kind of going to keep it simple. Just kind of, if I have something to say, I'll say it. Um, in the meantime, I, again, I just really appreciate all of you and, uh, thanks for spreading the word and thanks to everybody who, you know, was super excited and sending me messages yesterday when I announced the drop. Um, it, it means the world to me. Uh, it does. And, um, yeah, uh, I hope, I hope I make you guys all proud. Um, and I hope that this is something that we can all keep. I hope it's a sandbox we can all keep playing in, you know? Um, cause I think there's something here. I think it's got good bones. And I, and I want us to, I want us to be able to talk about these things and I want to be able to like, be honest. And, and I think it's important to have these things at the forefront of our minds, the things that the code talks about, like live with courage, keep your word. And those, that's the reason why I chose those two. Cause the cowboy code is, it's an unofficial thing, but it's, uh, there's a lot more to it than just those two uh, anecdotal sayings, but 
to me that that distills it down to the purest thing. It's just live with courage. Don't let the fear drive you like we're talking about. Um, don't let the doubt hold you back because it will and it wants to and you want it to. I want it to most of the time. And then keep your word. Uh, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Um, and I think we could get a lot. Of, we can get pretty far off those two. So everything else is just icing on the cake. But anyways, uh, thanks for listening to my rambles. And uh, let me know if you want me to do this again. Um, you know, I, I probably will anyways. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of cathartic. And um, I, would, I would like to do this again, I think. So uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. And uh, if not, I'll see you on Instagram and uh, talk to you on there. And uh, thanks again. Appreciate it.